Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Joe Fulgham. I'm Sasha Smulders. This is The Sandman, Issue 14, Collectors. Let's get right to it at the cover again. Guess who that is? Well, that's definitely the Corinthian. Yeah, it's also Neil Gaiman. What? Yeah, that's Neil. Oh, he's done something different with his eye makeup. Well, now you know why he wears sunglasses all the time in his (laughs) early career. I'm really uncomfortable with the idea of Neil Gaiman having a mouth for eyes. This is where he gets his ideas from. The mirror. Along with Neil's eyes, which are teeth, we also have a map of what appears to be the southern part of America. Some uh, Texas in there for sure. It looks bloodstained. San Antonio. Oh, it could be bloodstained. Yeah, there are little red bits on it. I'm not the the cuts look kind of like burns though. And then what is this all on as well? What's this ribbed blue? Yeah, I'm not sure. Could that be just denim really close up? Or a table mat or something? Could be that. I don't think it looks like denim because if it was denim, it would be Mm. you'd see the knit pattern of the fibers. Okay, I don't know. Some kind of fabric. Welcome to the cereal convention. Page one. We're back at the hotel in Dodge County, Georgia. It seemed like the late autumn wind blew them in that night, spinning and dizzying from the four corners of the world. Yeah. There's some really good language use here. Neil's really got some sharp cutting words all punched together. I really like Mm -hmm. this bit. It was a bitch wind, knife sharp and cutting, and it blew bad and cold. I love the, and they came with it scurrying and skittering like yellow leaves in old newspapers from a thousand places and from nowhere at all. Like it all kind of fits all together. And then there's an even bigger one after. They came in their suits and their t-shirts carrying rucksacks and briefcases and suitcases and plastic bags, muttering and humming and silent as the night. Love it. It needs to be read out loud. You know, like I think when you just read it off the page, you don't quite understand how it's written to be read aloud i think i th- I, I would agree with you yeah this is a thing that i could see as an actual voiceover read in front like over top of the the intro to whatever this episode of tv would be mm-hmm. and uh yeah really pay off the song that one of these collectors is singing is lydia the tattooed lady hmm. that's she has eyes that meant a dorso and a torso even more so which is of course a sick little joke because he probably cuts her eyes and torso up mm. uh, and here's that song oh, Lydia oh Lydia say have you met Lydia Lydia the tattooed lady she has eyes that folks adore so and a torso even more so Lydia oh Lydia that encyclopedia also makes a pretty nice appearance in the Fisher King yeah love that movie I like how Neil describes in the voiceover describes sort of the slow, cautious socialization of these killers. Mm, yeah. Um, how, you know, beginning, they're all wary of each other. And then the ones who know each other create small groups. And then those little groups become bigger. And then, those, right. you know, like it's totally this, like a comic convention as well. though. Yeah. And then all of the all of the characters who have lines here, mm-hmm. each and every one of them says out of context not talking about their kills right talks about death and killing and stabbing and yeah. whatnot but at no point are they talking about their own all sorts of metaphors being used that are about killing and stuff mm-hmm. yeah killed the lights could murder a stake 
the chocolate fudge whip that is just to die for. Wouldn't be seen dead here. Yeah, wouldn't be seen dead here. The song that the same character from page one is singing now is These Boots Are Made For Walking by Nancy Sinatra. You keep saying you've got something for me Something you call love but confess You've been a messin' where you shouldn't have been a messin' And now someone else is getting all your best These boots are made for walking And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you Over on the next page we have Nimrod asking about the family man. Mm-hmm. And this does become part of the story later because the family man can't make it for, according to this, whatever reason. And so the Corinthian steps in and gives his uh, his guest of honor speech at yeah. the beginning. The family man is actually busy dealing with John Constantine right now. What? Yeah. The family man is a serial killer in Hellblazer. He shows up starting in issue 24, and actually he's in several issues. It's an entire story arc, and he is the focus of the Hellblazer story arc, The Family Man. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's a serial killer who very specifically goes and kills families. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's also very dark and crappy and creepy. Mm. It's also our first shot of Funland. Yep, Funland. Register Uh, here. As soon as I saw his hat, I was like, oh, it's a Mickey Mouse hat. Oh, no, not quite a Mickey Mouse hat, but I get what they're trying to tell me. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get to that when he brings it up, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. On this page three, we've also got one of the other things he uh, that you were mentioning. He slays me. You heard him do the I am John's coat hanger routine. Mm. That is referencing something that Fight Club also, the movie Fight Club also referenced. Oh. A series of short stories or short articles that appeared in Reader's Digest uh, together called I am Joe's body. Uh, They each explain the function of various body parts of both Joe and Jane. There actually is one, I am Jane's womb. Okay. And it goes through, it's kind of a a popular science education article. It actually Mm -hmm. tells you like what that part of your body does, what some risks that you would have, but it's all from the point of view of that body part. Okay. And it's just kind of a fairly easy to read and they are all online and readable. I don't know about all, but 33 of them are online at archive.org. I have the link to that. You can go there and read them in text or PDF format or whatever you want. Uh, I'll put that up in the show notes for this episode. So what does the I am John's coat hanger mean then? So the I am John's coat hanger is pretty obviously a reference to back alley abortions. So it's oh. so it's taking the it's taking <gasps> the uh, the original really nice. Here's what all your body parts are, and somebody's obviously telling a joke about abortions. Oh, and and making a joke reference to that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And they go on not to become groups and clusters attracting new members, as you were mm-hmm. mentioning, totally like comic conventions. They all work this way. You start to meet up with the people that you know, mm-hmm. and then you slowly maybe meet some new people and your groups can get bigger and you can cross-pollinate and things like that. Yeah. You start to attract stragglers. Yeah. Well, somebody who doesn't know many people finally sees somebody that they know in a group and they join and that group gets bigger and then two groups have somebody in common, so they join up. Yeah. It tends to be how these convention things go. That's that's the thing about this. This really does look like every convention just about that I've been to, at least the ones in hotels. Every serial killer convention you've been to? No comment. So Nimrod next goes to the manager's office. Mm-hmm. 
And Manager has a thing for bondage. Yeah, it seems that way. Mm-hmm. He's got a calendar on the wall and he's reading bondage time. It's bondage time. Come on, tie up your friends. Nimrod is checking in to make sure that everything is going to go smoothly. And the manager says, uh, I know you said you didn't want anyone else here, but unfortunately, we have two guests who haven't left yet. Yeah. So we, through that, find out that Rose has heard about what happened to her family, her Mm -hmm. brother, uh, and that he's missing. Yeah. But we don't know much else. We don't know much else yet. It is it is later on they talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. And the police answered, the police. Mm-hmm. I love that bit where he's explaining to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't think this guy is exactly a serial killer himself. He's not taking part in the convention. No. But he seems to be, well, let's call it a serial killer ally. <laughs> right? Yeah. I think he pretty much knows what all of these people are here to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I think to celebrate, not to do. I think it's pretty obvious this convention's not about cereal. <laughs> yeah. In a perfect world, Rose Walker would be sitting in the car with her brother Jed next to her. Gilbert would be in the back. Perfect world. Mm. So yeah, so she's finally found her brother and then the police call and say, yeah, you got to stay there. A whole bunch of weird stuff's happened. And when we turn the page, we find out that Uncle Barnaby and Aunt Clarissa are dead. That explosion killed them. Wow. Yeah. Oops. Whoopsie. I mean, I also think that Dream wouldn't be so happy to leave them alive in any case. Well, actually... It's hard to say where his morality lies on that. Yeah, he lets all these... Because he kind of has the power to stop that all over the world. Yeah. And never, ever does. Probably because it's not his job. I guess. So Gilbert tells her a story. And she doesn't want to hear one of his theological paradoxes, no. which is totally what G.K. Chesterton was known for. He was the prince of paradox. Frankly, today I don't care if God exists or not. <laughs> I doubt he feels likewise, Miss Walker. Yeah, G.K. Chesterton was definitely a believer. Yeah? Yeah, he was a pretty strident Catholic. Mm. Well, the story he chooses to tell her, interestingly enough, is mm-hmm. the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah. Little Red Riding Hood goes back very far into history. Uh, the summary that he gives is pretty much correct. Charles Perrault was the first to put the European version into print. However, when you look back at the Little Red Riding Hood story, it's in China. Parts of it are in China. Parts of it are in the Middle East. And it seems like some of it went to, like, the story traveled to Europe, and then parts of that story traveled to China, and then it came back, and then Mm. the Red Hood was added, and it's, there's all these super similar stories, but Perot was the one who added that, and the earlier ones were really, really horrible. It's a pretty basic story that we teach Mm -hmm. young girls, is don't talk to strange men, because they will attack you and hurt you (laughs) like that's it and then at the addition of the hood and whatnot it's like don't dress flashy and talk to strange men right like the (laughs) red hood symbolizes her vanity and the fact that she's a young woman who who wears something that draws attention to her so like not only don't go and talk to don't talk to strange men in the woods because Mm -hmm. i believe the story always begins with the wolf talking to her and her not refusing to talk to him yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. like that's a part of the story. Like you, She does tell him that she's going to grandmother's house. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's the problem is that a man meets her in public and yeah. she, or out in the woods, and she, and like the wolf is basically a man in these stories. Yeah. Uh, and she doesn't ignore him and run away, <laughs> you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. 
And Don't blame we've, me. we've got a super adult version of the story here. Mm-hmm. The wolf just runs off, kills the grandmother, pours her blood into a bottle, and slices her flesh onto a plate. <sighs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It is horrible. That's oh. what Rose says at the end. That wolf has some uh, pretty good manual dexterity when it comes to cutting up meat. Yeah, it's kind of surprising how well it can cut. Yeah, fairy tales. Maybe that part's not true, but the rest is definitely true. Mm-hmm. We'll also note that a bunch of the things that she says are kind of repeated by Funland later on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely uh, supposed to be linked. The Corinthian shows up late, just yeah. as you'd expect him to. He <laughs> saunters in. And like he just poses so much, every shot of him. Yeah, he really wants to look cool, Yeah, right? He's got those glasses. He's got the tank top. His hair looks pretty good. He's smiling. Mm-hmm. He's in great shape. Yeah. He's like the opposite of Nimrod. <laughs> yeah, kind of. As much as we don't get a lot of description of Nimrod, he certainly seems to be on the ball, right? Yeah. Like as much as, okay... We're supposed to hate him because he's a horrible serial killer. Mm -hmm. He is organized. He is talking to people the right way. He got the news about the other guests and Mm he uh, being there when he specifically didn't want them. And he rolled with it and said, please just keep them to where they're supposed to, to their own rooms. And that's great. He's a really great organizer. Well, he, like the doctor character we're going to meet later as well, Mm -hmm. has managed to have an extremely balanced life. Yeah. He is the serial killer with the balanced life in that he is an orthodontist and a mm-hmm. successful one and a and manages to have his own special killing cabin and all that like yeah. that's the idea of that really like well organized serial killer who doesn't let it take over <laughs> his life as opposed to some other killers we meet throughout the story well, I don't know what doesn't let it take over his life he's running a convention for serial killers <laughs> I guess but what I mean is it's like it's like he's a functioning alcoholic as opposed yeah. to like someone who would as opposed to funland Yeah, I mean, Funland is fairly functioning. Funland is the one out of all of them who doesn't follow the rules. I guess. Right? We don't shit where we eat. We're not up to there yet. Yeah. So you're something of a legend among the collectors. Mm. And then we learn about Nimrod the next page over after we finally get our title page, 11 pages in. Neil Gaiman, the writer, Mike Dringenberg, penciler, Malcolm Jones, the third inker, Xylan, all the colorists for these uh, special ones. I believe it was Robbie Bush during the original runs. Mm-hmm. Todd Klein is, is back as letterer, Art Young, associate editor, and Karen Berger as the editor, tying it all together. He didn't think there'd be so many of them. But you're running this convention. I guess he didn't think that they'd show you up for his speech. Show. Yeah, I guess. Or just at all. I think maybe he hadn't thought of the scope of it. It was too busy planning. I love this little monologue that's all about stage fright (laughs) and he's like you're successful you have a murder cabin you've got four freezers full of cut up dead people and maybe we should get a fifth yeah (laughs) and yet he's scared and he's he's, has a joke and he's pre-prepared this joke and Mm -hmm. it's not a very good joke but they laugh for him well it's a rape joke (laughs) yeah for one this is the audience for that i'm going to say a violent one right the punchline is super violent because if you used a scythe mm-hmm. for what we're thinking of that's really bad mm-hmm. yeah i don't even know how she'd be walking in if that actually happened and we've mentioned this before he's his name is nimrod mm-hmm. which is a mighty biblical hunter and it meant that for a long time as a matter of fact uh, before the mid 1900s nimrod actually kind of meant tyrant Right. Somebody Mm. so powerful that they would just control you. And yeah, uh, but 
I can't find the exact episode that this happened in, but at some point Bugs Bunny started calling Elmer Fudd poor little Nimrod, Mm -hmm. meaning poor little hunter, right? Poor little hunter, but also kind of sarcastically like poor little genius because he's not a genius, right? Mm -hmm. Poor little Nimrod. But as kids, we didn't know what that was. So we just started all calling each other Nimrod. (laughs) And then that became the meaning of Nimrod. Yeah. That you were like somebody easily confused and a fool. Yeah. Huh. The English language, so weird. Well, that can happen a lot with words when they, the people who use them the next time around, they don't have the same meaning for them. It becomes twisted. Yeah. I was listening to someone talk the other day about how teenagers today would call something edgy when mm-hmm. they would say, oh, that's so edgy. What they mean is poserish, whereas mm. like a yeah, generation ago. To be edgy is what they mean. Yeah, yeah. Whereas a generation ago, it just meant edgy. Like yeah. it meant that it meant the the thing that it meant as opposed to now it means pretending to be the thing. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> just how, yeah, suddenly words don't make sense anymore. And that's okay. That language should do that. That's fine. But it's also frustrating if you're on the back step of that. <laughs> you're like, wait, what happened to language? <laughs> <sighs> help, help. I've been reaped. Mm. I know, Sarah, but let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. So he does, in this. he does talk about the rules. Firstly, use your preferred sobriquet. No civilian names. Secondly, we don't shit where we eat. And there's that one guy, Oh, Nobody yeah. does any collection until the convention's over at least 200 miles away. That's Aww. the Dexter in the audience. The, oh. the guy who kills serial killers. Oh, yes. You're that's, totally right. That's who that is right there. That's Dexter. Head cannon accepted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's like, I'm going to get them all. Oh. <laughs> oh. But I have to, Dexter would totally be like, well, I have to follow the rules. Yeah, I have to follow the rules. <laughs> Especially if it was like last season, Dexter. Ugh. Let's not go there. <sighs> Let's move on for the Dexter podcast that I will never do. (laughs) Never. They've called him the Eye Guy and the Dark Angel and the Shades and maybe a thousand other names, but we've always known it was one man. Gentlemen, ladies, our guest of honor, the Corinthian. Hmm. And we cut to a bar. There's four of the serial killers are at the bar and Mm. one is a woman, which is unusual. Yeah. And they're reminiscing over how it's so great that they can all get together. Mm-hmm. They're all so different, but they're united by their common interest. Mm-hmm. And they have a film program mm-hmm. of a bunch of movies, and mm-hmm. I have details on most of those. Ooh. I'm pretty sure some of them we're guessing at, but we're pretty sure what they are. Don't Look Now is a 1973 thriller starring Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland about a married couple dealing with the recent accidental death of their daughter and a clairvoyant who claims to have a warning from her. The Collector is a 1965 psychological crime thriller starring Samantha Egger and Terrence Stamp. That's General Zod from Mm -hmm. the uh, old Superman movies. Stamp plays a butterfly collector who kidnaps Egger as part of that collection. He moves on from butterflies to collecting women. Oh. So it's totally a serial, I don't know, abductor. I think he ends up killing her. That probably inspired Silence of the Lambs. Could be. Well, speaking of Silence of the Lambs, the next one is Manhunter, the 1986 thriller that's basically a prequel of sorts to The Silence of the Lambs. What? Manhunter is basically Red Dragon. It's really? just that they didn't want to call it Red Dragon. Well, the director did, but the the film studio didn't, so they changed it to Manhunter at the end. But it's is it? A, it's not a Thomas Harris story, though. It is. What? I never heard of this. I love Thomas Harris. Yeah, 1986 American crime horror film based on Thomas Harris's novel Red Dragon. I have to watch that. And it stars Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter. What? We are going to have to watch that because okay. I really enjoyed the novels of Thomas Harris. And the movies have been pretty good. 
I don't know if this one was any good. It's uh, it's sixty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, so it's not terrible. Yeah, but also that could be a little high because people are kind of remembering it. Mm-hmm. I did. They did make a Red Dragon movie eventually. Didn't they did. They? Yeah, yeah. That one was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen Manhunter, so I don't know. But that's that's what this is. Mm. From the Life of Marionettes is a 1980 film by Ingmar Bergman, uh, and here's how Wikipedia sums it up because I don't know anything about it. The film charts the disintegration of the relationship of Katerina and Peter Egerman, the feuding couple seen briefly in Bergman's earlier scenes from a marriage. As Katerina seeks other lovers, the emotionally repressed and despondent Peter descends into neuroses, eventually leading him to tearfully murder a prostitute with the same name as his wife at a Munich peep show before sodomizing her dead body. Oh, God. In the closing sequence, he is incarcerated in a mental asylum. An odd counterpoint to the depressing tone of the film is the sprightly disco soundtrack over the end credits, which I'm sure that all these serial killers would love. Yay! Duke it down. Oh, wow. Yeah. I haven't seen that one either. In Cold Blood is a 1967 film based on Truman Capote's book of the same name. The film follows the trail of Robert Blake as Perry Smith and Scott Wilson as Richard Hickok. They break into the home of the Clutter family in Holcomb, Kansas, kill all four members of the family who are present, and go on the run. They're eventually found and caught by the police, tried for the murders, and eventually executed. Oh, so that's a real crime. And then they made a movie about it based Uh, on Truman Capote's interviews? Yeah, Truman Capote made the non-fiction novel about them, and then they made the movie based on that. Oh, wow. Compulsion is a 1959 film based loosely on the Leopold and Loeb story about the two close friends, and it's about two close friends who kill a boy together. Yeah, they're two wealthy students at the University of Chicago who in May 1924 kidnapped and murdered 14-year-old Robert Franks in Chicago. It was uh, widely characterized at the time as the crime of the century because they did it just for fun. Privilege. Straight On Till Morning is a 1972 British thriller with the summary, a reserved young woman finds herself attracted to a handsome stranger, unaware of his psychotic tendencies. Mm. RRY on Scream is probably Carry On Screaming, a 1966 parody of Hammer Horror Films. It's the 13th of the Carry On Films, which is a series of low-budget British comedy movies. Okay. Uh, Have you ever seen a carry-on movie? I don't think so, no. They're like British farce movies that they would basically do really cheaply and do a whole bunch of them. They were kind of funny. I remembered watching some of them as a kid, you know, on Saturday Saturday afternoons as reruns and on TV and stuff like that and thought that they were kind of funny. Maybe they went over my head at the time. Hmm. Yeah. So I have a trailer for that. I'll put that up in the show notes. And finally, Night of the H is... Almost definitely Night of the Hunter, a 1955 film starring Robert Mitchum and Shelley Winters. The plot focuses on a corrupt reverend turned serial killer who attempts to charm an unsuspecting widow and steal $10,000 hidden by her executed husband. Ooh. Yeah. So those are the movies they're going to watch. So if anybody would like to, they could track those movies down and watch all the serial convention movies together. Yeah, that would be super day. creepy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Live tweet it. I would watch the carry-on one. <laughs> it looks ridiculous. Oh, yeah, I would definitely watch that. <laughs> and I think we're going to have to watch Manhunter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for science. So we've got this one serial killer with the uh, the red hair who talks about a magazine called Chaste. Mm-hmm, and, and he's, he's speaking to the doctor. Yeah, he claims to be the bogeyman, and the doctor says, give me a number. And so That's apparently line, this is what it? the bogeyman does, is he will on command recall exactly which kill that was. Yeah, and this guy's obviously making it up. I mean, the, the, what he makes up is pretty easy improv. 
Beautiful mm-hmm. eyes, patches of sky early in the morning. Screamed like an angel. He's a super creep, but the doctor knows. Now, as soon as I'm reading this, I imagine that uh, this person, if you if it was acted as like a cartoon, mm-hmm. it would be the person who voices Rusty Venture. Excuse me, but I've seen you before, haven't I? You're that doctor. Wow, to think that you're a that you're a collector. Wow. Yeah. I can just completely see Rusty Venture as this <laughs> character. <laughs> That's yeah, not just because of the hair, but also because of the way he looks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And then we learn about the doctor. He's treated presidents. He's pioneered radical new operations. He collects leather neckties. They wrote about it in the New York Times. He has over a hundred. He makes them himself. So I wonder if he's saved more lives than he's taken. <laughs> right? Like, is he... That's probably what he argues. Is he such a balanced... He seems like the calmest, mm-hmm. most collected and balanced of all of them. Mm-hmm. And is that because his scales are even? Well, he probably thinks that they are, yeah. Mm. Over 100, though. Well, I guess you can make more than one out of each person. Mm-hmm. Although he probably makes one per person. Mm-hmm. The fake bogeyman is also surprised that Dog Soup is a woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm also really curious about how someone gets the name Dog Soup. Well, I think she's Korean, so mm. I think it's a racist moniker that probably other people have given her. That would make... Except they don't even know who she is. But they might know that the killer is is Korean. Oh, yeah. Is right? that a thing where most serial killers kill within their own race? Yeah, it could be. So maybe Dog Soup kills other Koreans, and that's how this got named. It's some horrible racist name that the media's given the killer. Mm. Maybe she puts their bodies into soup along with dogs. Oh, maybe. And next up, we have a panel on how to make money as a serial killer. Yeah. The choir boy mentions, the thing is to remember that they'll pay to know for certain, even if the cops don't go with it, the families will, like that dude in Canada. That is referencing Clifford Olson, Mm. a Canadian serial killer who confessed to murdering 11 children and young adults between the ages of 9 and 18 years in the early 1980s. After being captured, Olson made a controversial deal with authorities, agreeing to confess to the 11 murders and show the RCMP the location of the bodies of those not yet recovered. In return, authorities agreed that $10,000 for each victim was paid into a trust for his wife and then-infant son. His wife ended up receiving $100,000 after Olson cooperated with the RCMP, the 11th body being a, quote, freebie. Mm. Now, was this on the Highway of Tears? Clifford Olson? Yeah. No, British Columbia. Christine Weller, 12, was from Surrey, New West. So basically near where we live. Oh, I remember growing up, like as a kid, Mm -hmm. even though he'd already been caught at that point, um, right? He was caught. Yeah, yeah. I remember my parents talking about him Mm -hmm. and like my mom talking about him. Canadian parents were done with letting their kids outside without somebody watching. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely remember hearing adults talk about Clifford Olson and like that being like kind of... And, but I don't quite remember much else about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's a monster. Mm-hmm. And broken brain monster. Uh, he's dead now. He died of cancer. Hooray. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a big hubbub when they found out that he was getting his pension checks. Yeah. Even though he was still in jail. And he was getting two of them, like one and then another one because he was getting so little with the other one. And Canada got so upset that our prime minister decided to, of, at the time, who most of us don't even like, said, yeah, this is wrong. We've got to do something about that. Clifford Olson took one of his checks and 
forward it to a Sun Media reporter with a note asking him to forward it to then Prime Minister Stephen Harper for his campaign for re-election. <laughs> Either he's out of his mind or he thought this will make Stephen Harper look bad. I don't know. <gasps> oh my gosh. So the serial killer sent his paycheck, yeah. his pension check to yeah. Stephen Harper. Yeah, he died in 2011, a year after that, at the oh. age of 71. I was uh, quite young when that happened, and my mother was just terrified that I yeah. would be one of I or one of my sisters would be one of the next ones to go. So we were you couldn't be alone ever because that was the thing. He only grabbed them alone. It yeah. seems so you you could never be out alone in the in the eighties when you were a kid in Canada because of him. Over the page, we've got Gilbert and Rose in the elevator. Yeah, they're uh, they're, they're heading out. They're going to go out and get some fresh air. Mm-hmm, what but- if what if they phone while we're out? Unfortunately, uh, two other characters get on the elevator with them, the Corinthian and the Doctor. Yeah. And Gilbert really has a reaction to the Corinthian. Mm-hmm. Quite the negative one. He is literally shaking by the time the Corinthian walks off the elevator. Yeah, the, the shake lines are pretty great in that second last panel. <laughs> and this is a guy who challenged Three. a bunch of punk kids yeah. to a sword fight a sword cane fight yeah so you know he's not easily spooked by just a random person it's almost like he knows who the corinthian is yeah Hmm. 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 rose however says he's kind of cute gross i don't think she's talking about the doctor no i really don't think she's she's totally checking it was the corinthian yeah Yeah. and uh he won't tell her but he writes a name on a piece of paper which we all know what it is because we've all read but you can also see the the raven there's a bird up there there's no way that's not matthew Hmm. And he's looking up at it. Mm-hmm. If things get bad, call the name Rose Walker. Call him. And may God have mercy on us all. <sighs> yeah, and he kind of goes AWOL after this. He just walks away. Yeah. He leaves her. We have got some more of the serial killers letting us know what they're like. It's the religion panel. Yeah. I love that, it. That first one, that's supposed to be like a Charles Manson type, right? Well, that is just somebody who thinks that they are God. Yeah. And then the other guy is a born-again Christian who does the bidding of God and says, that's not God. Mm-hmm. I wash their robes and make them white in the blood of the lamb with my hammer, with my love. And the third one is the guy I'm referring to as uh, Bill Nye, the murder guy. <laughs> kill, yes. kill, 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 kill. Bill Nye, the murder guy. Murdering's cool. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bill. And then they get it. I'm the bogeyman. Really, I am. Give me a number, any number. They show his copies of Chaste, yeah, which the uh, are not only, th- that looks like it's got a crying baby on the cover, but also a whole bunch of swastikas. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just just terrible. So I'm not going to feel bad for this guy. No, I don't. Also, he until says, a little later. No, actually. he also he wants to be a serial killer. Like he yeah. he hates humanity. He just hasn't done it yet. Um, he thinks that women are females too. He calls us females. Yeah, females. Just a no. Don't do that. Just <laughs> if you if you're thinking that you want to talk about women and the word that comes out of your mouth is females, just stop, rewind, and say women. Anyway, females are insects created for male pleasure. Yeah. <sighs> what a charmer. What a, you know, what a nice boy. The willingness to sacrifice another's life for one's own gratification. That's not sacrifice, buddy. Yeah. That's not sacrifice. Yeah, you that's just taking stuff. What words mean. That's just taking stuff. Although I don't think he has very long to improve his vocabulary. 
No, I don't think that uh, he's going to get redeemed. Needs must when the devil drives at the bottom is what Nimrod says. Mm-hmm. That is an old, old saying. Shakespeare uses it in All's Well That Ends Well. My poor body, madam, requires it. I am driven on by the flesh, and he must needs go that the devil drives. However, it's actually much, much older than that. The earliest that a researcher I found on the internet could find is in John Lydgate's Assembly of Gods, written about 1420. He must needs go that the devil drives. And needs must is archaic today. We would probably say necessity compels Mm -hmm. because the meanings of those words have kind of changed. So it means necessity compels when the devil drives. It means, look, when the devil's driving, you do what you got to do. You you go where the devil has to drive you. Mm -hmm. I have something in the trunk already. We know what that is. Yeah, it's dangerous. They Mm -hmm. ride with him just in the back like that. But, you know, it looks like he's passed out drunk. They didn't do much damage to him. Probably dark as well. Mm-hmm. And I think they're in a relatively deserted area. I mean, they've been able to find a tree they can just tie him up to here. Plus, the Corinthian, I think his main stat is charisma anyway. So if they got pulled over by a cop, he'd probably be okay. He'd probably talk him out of it. Yeah. So. Your buddy's had too much to drink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the Corinthian gets to make a little speech. Uh, I love that. He says that it would be boorish to interrogate him to find out why he did that stuff in the first place or how. He doesn't care. Uh, really, he just wants mm-hmm. to scare the pants off him before they literally cut the pants and everything else off of him. Yeah. Yeah. The good doctor likes to skin people alive. Mm. Nimrod is a hunter. He can bone, joint, and gut any animal in minutes. For myself, I have a penchant for eyes. And you know what we're going to do now, Philip? We're going to take turns. Mm. It's almost cool. Like, like I can see why he's charming and, and like, this is cool, even though he's about to murder a guy, like, and not just murder him, but they're going to like skin him and probably cut his joints up and stuff. And then he's going to pull his eyes out and eat them with his eye eyes. And ugh. plus that, that one shot in the bottom left corner of mm-hmm. this page, it's like such a hero shot of the three of them yeah you know like they all just look so cool and they think they're cool right they're yeah. they're not just happy that they're doing this they're also happy that the three of them and these are kind of the three m- more with it intelligent kind of i don't know what the right word to use is normal i don't know they're the ones uh, who are, they're not going to get caught yeah these are the ones who probably would not get caught these yeah. are the guys who live their whole lives and they don't get caught yeah these are the top-notch killers let's that yeah. i think that's what i'm trying to say like yeah. The, the two behind the Corinthian are both doctors. They're professionals. They they have their places they go to. They hide in plain sight perfectly well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're really super happy about this. And they're with their legend, right? They get to take turns with a legend of theirs. How often do serial killers get to do this? Mm-hmm. Ah, good yeah. for them. Horrible, horrible monsters that they are. And then, of course, we're at a convention, so you got to have the really crappy uh, dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> Like, there probably have been good ones, and they've just been ones I haven't been to, or bigger ones, I guess. Yeah. But most dance nights at at least the game conventions I go to are at best mediocre. I guess I could see that at game conventions. the Most of the convention-type deals I've gone to, the dance party-type things that have happened have been pretty good. Mm. Um, but they're usually general cons, and those dances don't happen at the con, and... You know, they're usually the kind of dances where they've hired burlesque dancers uh, and they've hired all that stuff. Like those are the kinds of things I've done. And the song going on, Afraid to Fly, Everyone Wants to Be on a Postage Stamp and No One Wants to Die is Standard White Jesus by Timbuk3. 
scope of Funland and how he's involved in this because he's not only working the front desk he's also supervising outside the disco as well oh, yeah he's he's super volunteer yeah it, it seems like he's the kind of guy he wouldn't go to this unless it's under that in that position you know he's the kind of guy who wouldn't go to a convention just to be there he needs a reason to be there he, yeah and he would feel nervous if he was there without a little job yeah yeah I totally know what you mean he's also very childlike so I think that's yep helps too that he has someone telling him what to do and he's wearing a shirt with a wolf on it and basically has wolf ears on his hat wolf ears that are exactly designed the way the mickey mouse ear hats yeah. are yeah and he's talking about and he where talks he about hunts. his great place where he hunts yeah conspiracy theorists really love to claim that there are lots of murders going on at disneyland and disney world and mm-hmm. disney hushes them up because it'd be bad for business but uh there's no evidence of yeah. that and after this long, there would be something. I would think so. Yeah. At least, you know, we went to Disneyland and our kid is gone. Mm. What happened? You know, I... There's a million dollars. That's not enough. No. Like, yeah. That's that's where the conspiracy theories break down. Yeah. That you parents. could buy off a parent. When I was three years old, I went missing at Disneyland. Did you? Yeah, I ran away from my mom when I was three years old. <gasps> Why? Because I was the kind of child that if you let go of me, I ran. And I, oh. I skipped I skipped the walking bit when I was a kid. I went straight from crawling to running. Mm-hmm. So I was just gone. Like I was the kind of kid where I had a leash. Like I was a leashed child. And if you <laughs> let go of me and it was crowded, I was just... I disappeared and they lost me for a while. Luckily, it was in the hotel. I wasn't like, it wasn't outside, but it was a very crowded hotel and they lost me for quite a while and my mom had a meltdown, <laughs> uh, but they eventually found me. She loves to tell me that story. <laughs> and then we've got Funland stopping Rose from going into the dance. Yeah. <laughs> this entire interaction, I almost believe that Neil might have seen this at a convention, mm-hmm. right? Sorry, man, this is a- convention function you can't go in oh come on and then he gets all nervous and it's only for people at convention he's not making eye contact with her like yeah. very specifically in that one uh more vertical panel yeah where, where he's, he's standing he's talking and he starts he goes from saying you can't go in and then as soon as she's nice to him and she kind of like she says oh heck you know mm-hmm. she very much like dials back her reaction as like a, oh maybe you'll let me through and suddenly he can't look at her he's you know just kind of stumbling over his words yeah mm-hmm. and then when she walks away and she's, she's saying to him over her shoulder, see you around. Mm-hmm. You see a silhouette of the back of his head, yeah. which looks exactly like the back of a wolf. It looks like a wolf. Yeah. yeah. They've got the two ears and then the way that his hair is. Mm-hmm. Moon River, how old would you say that she was? That little girl, that beautiful little girl. I don't know, 17, maybe 18. By the way, we know she's 21. Mm-hmm. But we also know she looks very young for her age. Also, I think that he... Oh, but he's a super creep for young, young girls, yeah. Yeah, Funland is a super creep for little girls or little children probably of any gender. Mm -hmm. 
and he's just kind of starved for that thing that makes him feel powerful. Yep. So he's projecting that onto her. Like mm-hmm. even though she's like she's a grown woman, yeah. he's projecting that childhood onto her because he needs someone. Mm-hmm. And then we meet the connoisseur, as well as one guy who hates the whole damn human race, including himself. He likes to drown people. Mm-hmm. 171. And then, yeah, but the connoisseur, he's only killed eight. And that's because he's very specific. He very specifically chooses to kill trans women. Mm-hmm. Um, he They use the word transsexuals here, which in the late 80s was less of a problematic term. And also, though, this character may choose to use that as well. And I love that he kind of creeps out the guy who wants to kill everybody. Mm-hmm. So what do you talk to them about? Business, the weather, nothing important, just things, stuff. Uh, right. And it's also that this guy feels threatened by trans women. Yeah, he feels that they're laughing at him. Yeah. They're not, dude. That's just you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was enjoyable doing it together like that. Pity it had to end so soon, really. This is when the Corinthian finds out he's going to need to give a big speech. They've got a big day tomorrow. Did you just say I have to make a speech? Hmm. (laughs) And also, what is in the trunk? Well, we know, but yeah. Yeah, the doctor wants to know. See, the doctor gets the details. He's really, Mm -hmm. like, I think that this short story here does a really good job of painting who all three of these these guys are Mm -hmm. and the doctor has the least amount of screen time and i feel like i've got him pretty figured out you know like look how relaxed he is look at what he's doing in that car and even when they were backseat just lounging sideways and when when they were at the tree that hero shot of the three of them it looks like he was sitting down you know, mm-hmm. and, and when they're hanging uh, the fake boogeyman up, he's he's helping hang him up while Nimrod is kind of standing back, not really sure mm-hmm. how that all works. Nimrod is very, is anxious. Even though he's good at what he does, he still has this feeling of anxiety, whereas the doctor, it feels like he's that, he's got that calmness and that, mm-hmm. that self-confidence of a surgeon. That makes him super creepy, yeah. Yeah. Ah, and Gilbert's gone, leaving only a piece of paper on the bed which I guess is the piece of paper that has the name on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, one last thing I want to point out. Mm. The doctor is not splattered with blood. Oh, yeah. The two, Nimrod and the Corinthian are covered in blood, but the doctor who skinned the guy yeah. is not covered in blood. It's because he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he probably takes his clothes off or does something. Or like that. that, yeah. I mean, that could be it. Yeah. Or it's not messy. It's science. <laughs> 10.30 a.m. panel discussion over on page 26. We are what we are. Women in serial killing at 12.30, and there is no sanity clause at 3.30. I love the women in serial killing because you have, <laughs> because the, the dog soup is essentially throwing shade at both the grass widow <laughs> yeah. and the dark angel. Sitting right next to her. Yeah, yeah, she's saying she hates, she's sick and tired of women being stereotyped as black widows or killer nurses, and like the grass widow is obviously supposed to be a hippie widow, yep. and then... Uh, the dark angel would be a nurse who kills her patients. Uh, a grass widow is a woman whose husband is away often or for a prolonged period. It can also mean a woman who's divorced or separated oh, from her husband. Okay. I just figured because of the headband. I kind of thought that too. And she is the one who drags the connoisseur out on the dance floor earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, good looking, come a boogie. I love this song. That song is Wild Thing.
Wow. And then we have the psychiatrist, yeah, talking the Candyman, who we learned at the beginning of this story, uh, he collects lips. (laughs) I remembered that. He collects lips. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Look, as a practicing psychiatrist, I, uh, well, look, none of you, uh, well, there's no more evidence of mental abnormality amongst us people than amongst um, them. Less, maybe. Yeah, sure, Candyman. Hmm. I mean, you'd think there'd be more like sociopaths in serial killer society, right? Yeah, lots more. He's wrong. Oh, he's totally wrong. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. These are all self-deluded serial killers who think that they're awesome and that they're the right ones and that they're doing it all right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, I don't like to completely ascribe it to mental illness, right? Because this isn't just a mental illness thing. There are people who are psychopaths who who actually just live in the world and don't kill people mm-hmm. who just oh for sure yeah. you know get by and just live their lives and they don't they don't actually hurt people they just also don't care about them mm-hmm. and then we get a guy who just seems to like this is the this is the most uh, empathetic one i have a here. theory about this guy well here's what's great about him he starts talking to to funland here mm-hmm and he started cutting the heads off pussies, which I think he means cats. Yes, he means cats. <laughs> but it's also, that's a very sexualized way of talking about them. Pussies is also the, the woman's the word for the woman's vagina. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. And he goes through this whole thing and he's obviously feeling guilty about it. Yeah. And he's trying to talk with somebody else. And he even says on the next page over after his big monologue, I don't know, I thought maybe if I came here, I'd meet other people with the same problem. Mm-hmm. People I could talk to who'd understand, who'd help me. But no one else has been really been interested. And then Funland goes, uh, uh, something's come up, something I have to do. I uh, have to go see around then. Yeah, fine. No problem. And like the guy was trying to open up to like anybody. And he's opening up to this big guy who I think probably wants friends as well. Yeah. And let him know what his problem is and maybe he can deal with this. And the, the guy goes, yeah, I got to go. Whatever. That's That sucks. Well, he's probably also talking to Funland because Funland... Obviously, kind of works for the hotel. Mm-hmm. Like he's or, the guy he the got his, or no, not the yeah. He works for the convention, mm-hmm. and so he's the guy he got his name tag from. He's all that, so yeah. you know he kind of feels more comfortable talking to him. Yeah. My theory about this guy is, and mm. it's like super loose, and it can just be my own theory, and doesn't have to necessarily be sure. the reality. I think he looks a lot like Desire. I think that they're. I think also mm. he is fueled kind of by Desire. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is a cruel trick of desire on him. Like, they seem like the kind of character that would do that. They would trick people in that way and, and give them this need yeah. plus shame. Because yeah. that's what this is. He's fueled by shame mm-hmm. as well. He would try not to masturbate and then he would go out and it would like be like binge and purge as opposed to just eating. Yeah. And then he would do that with women. So I can almost see, yeah, a character like Desire having their wicked fingers in this person and and taking this thing they Mm -hmm. want and making it bad. He's one of the ones who definitely talks about sex through what he's talking about, right? Mm -hmm. He he gets himself off and women are naked under their clothes. And uh, it's it's not normal for a man to go out and dismember a woman just because he wants to have sex with her. He's he's totally right Mm -hmm. about that. So, yeah, he's definitely the one who's been hit by Desire. and, And Desire is cruel. And I think of, well, of all the characters in this issue, he looks the most like them too. Yeah. The dark hair and, Mm -hmm. yeah, I just, just, and the suit that just Hmm. struck me on the second read through that that's what he looked like. Hmm. 
And uh, Rose is in her room relaxing, uh, reading the note. And I wouldn't even say relaxing. Maybe she looks like she's kind of stressing. Yeah. She's like, what is going on? Three cheers for, yeah. Yeah. And uh, a knock at the door, um, room service, uh, a message from her grandmother. Yeah. From Unity. Now, what's really interesting is he doesn't know anything about Unity or the grandmother, or even yeah. that she's waiting for a call. The grandmother is totally a call back to Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, yeah. Right? Because he goes and, and he uses the grandmother to lure Little Red Riding Hood. And in here, he gets uses the grandmother to open the door. Mm-hmm. It's not really room service. It's me. I also like, and it just occurred to me, I was looking and I was like, they could have been more obvious and made her wear red. Except Gilbert said when he first told the story, the red hood was added later. Yeah. She didn't always wear red. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, perfect. Just perfect. And he says, it's a small world after all. It's a world of laughter, a world of tears. It's a world of hopes and a world of fears. There's so much that we share that it's time we're aware. It's a small world after all. He's going to pretend that this room is his special place. Yeah. He's built this all up in his head. He knows exactly how he's going to do it. He's already thought about it. When we're when we finished, you mustn't tell anybody, especially not Mr. Nimrod. He said that dirty stuff at the beginning about what we don't do where we eat. Mm. Wash his mouth out with soap, mama. I love you, little girl. Oof. As he's strangling her and dragging her onto the ground, she manages to grab the piece of paper. And for the first time, we see what's written on it. Mm-hmm. And it's Morpheus's name, and she says it out loud. And he also says, you can take off your dress, you know, you won't need it anymore. That's exactly what the wolf said in the old story. Mm-hmm. And I don't like dirty little girls on the next page over. I call them little sluts. And that's what and the cat said. Let go of her, Nathan Diskin. Let go of her now. I'm not sure why Dream cares. To be honest, he hasn't seemed to care previously. She isn't yours, Nathan. She belongs to no one except perhaps to herself. Now, dream. He says, heal and breathe, then leave this building. I mean, she might not have even been breathing at that time. I mean, maybe he actually saved her life completely, right? Because he's, if you look, when he says, let go for Nathan Diskin, I don't know if she's conscious. Yeah, his arm is around her throat, yeah. and then he picks her up to his chest, so. And Nathan Diskin gets a little dream. Mm-hmm. And all his little friends come running. Hello, they say to the funny giant. Will you be our friend? Will you play with us? We promise never to make fun of you. And it's the most wonderful dream he's ever had. It is an absolute allusion to Oscar Wilde's story, The Selfish Giant. Oh. Have you ever heard? There's a Canadian animated film based on this. And it's about a giant who has this lovely garden and the kids keep coming in it. And he hates that. So he walls it off. Oh. Says no kids can come in. And then when spring came, it didn't come to the garden that was walled off. The sun and the spring said, oh, we, we shouldn't have to go in there. And then eventually, years pass, and then eventually there's a crack in the wall and some kids come in. And as soon as the kids come in to play in the garden, spring and summer returns and it's beautiful. Mm. And the the giant comes, the shellfish giant comes out and says, oh, I'm so sorry and we should all be friends. And they're like, yay, we'll be friends with you. So this is a total allusion to that. This is, yeah. I'm sorry I hurt you all. Do you forgive me? (laughs) So you think deep down he wants to be redeemed? Oh, no. By all the kids he hurt? Well, I... Like, do you think he feels guilt over it? He never, I, he never seems to feel guilty over it at he, any other point. He doesn't. But I think maybe maybe that's what Dream has done. 
Mm. I don't know. It's supposed to be the most wonderful dream he's ever had. Maybe Dream has pulled that out of his head now. Because he says, now Dream. Maybe he's deciding what he dreams. I'm not sure. Mm. And then over the next page, we get the Corinthians speech. He's all arms. <laughs> yeah. At least those first couple, those are definitely Hitler uh, poses. Yeah. With the hand up while he talks and the and then the grasping hand and the one underneath. Yeah. Mm. Lots of hand movements. And he's telling them how great they are. We are the American dreamers, driving down the holy road to true knowledge that's paved with blood and gold. And he points out, we don't kill people anonymously, poisoning their aspirin, that happened, putting shards of glass in baby food, that also happened. We don't drive cars onto crowded sidewalks, we don't carry guns into burger joints and blast away until a SWAT team spatters our brains all over the french fries, we do not murder for profit, we do not murder for governments or for hire, we kill to kill. We are entrepreneurs in an expanding field. And then he sees Morpheus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and like instant sweat, you can see just all over his face. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's been all smiles and confidence until mm -hmm. he sees his old boss. And then he knows he's in trouble. And then he gets his comeuppance dream. And everybody else is just kind of paused. I'm, I'm guessing this is part of Dream's power, that mm. he can basically make the room not stop him from doing what he's doing. Yeah. And make it just about the two of them. Well, also, this is the biggest, toughest guy they've ever met, right? This guy is their hero. Mm -hmm. And this other guy is walking up to him and saying you know what, you're not the shit. And he's like, there's basically, this guy is an alpha and this other guy is like a super alpha and like all those guys aren't going to challenge that. Yeah. You know, they're just going to sit back and be like, right, let's find out who our new leader is. <laughs> I love when he describes what he meant for the Corinthian to be. You were my masterpiece, or so I thought. A nightmare created to be the darkness and the fear of darkness in every human heart. A black mirror made to reflect everything about itself that humanity will not confront. But look at you. I love it. Now, Black Mirror, that's that, uh, that is, BBC show. That's the new TV show that is basically reflecting everything about uh, itself that humanity will not confront. Yeah. You've told them that there are bad people out there, and they've known that all along. And then we finally get the shot with the glasses off. So the Corinthian was in people's dreams. Mm -hmm. An average person would dream and would see the Corinthian. The Corinthian would be the thing that would come to them in their dreams that mm -hmm. would that would be warning them that there was really dark, there was darkness in the world. Well, it would warn them by being the darkness, right? Yeah. Like you, you would get hunted by a guy who wants to eat, eat your eyeballs with his mouth teeth, yeah. right, in your dream, and it would kind of reflect to you the horror of humanity, right? Mm. And that's what his purpose was, but... Once Dream got imprisoned, Corinthian just went around killing people, thinking he was bigger than he was. And we get to hear from all three of his mouths. Mm -hmm. So what now? Do you expect me to submit quietly, to return to the dreaming, to scar their sleeping minds? Never again to know the delights of a sweet boy's eyes as it pops between my teeth. Is that it? No, that's not it. He challenges him to a fight and yeah. he's got a knife. Put on your helm. So we know that the helm is a is a fight thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He pulls a knife and he says, let me show you the arts of pain and war I have learned on this earth. And uh, <laughs> what's a knife going to do to Morpheus? Yeah. He just sticks his of all the ways to just like block somebody when they've pulled the knife on you. I never thought that just letting the knife slide through your hand like butter mm -hmm. was the way to do that. Well, Dream's an anthropomorphic personification. I don't even know if he has flesh and blood to actually pierce because other people see him differently. If a cat's looking at him right now, he looks like a cat. 
yeah. So how does the cat's hand grab that hand that's way up there? Mm. I mean, maybe it's a giant cat. But what I'm saying is uh, Dream's body is probably barely a body. Okay. I'm, I'm guessing anyway. I mean, it's certainly him. It can be imprisoned. We know that. But uh, I, I seriously doubt he can actually be injured all that much. Mm. And then he uncreates the Corinthian, but he leaves behind a little skull. Yeah. And the skull has teeth in its eyes. And it's tiny, too. And it's tiny. It's a tiny skull. And then this totally feels like Jimi Hendrix dream on the bottom left of that page, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. He's like his shirt is wide open. His hair is super fuzzy. Is that his ruby? Why does he have his ruby? Yeah, that's weird. It went away. Uh, maybe it's just a memory of the ruby and he just wanted it to look cool. It's just fashionable. <laughs> yeah. And he uh, he puts his judgment on all of the serial killers at the convention. Yeah. He takes away their comforting daydreams. Yeah. For this is my judgment on you, that you shall know at all times and forever exactly what you are, and you shall know just how little that means. Now leave. I love it. Like uh, so much of, uh, of our human need for vengeance on these serial killers who are killing tons and tons and tons of people, right? Mm-hmm. Like one guy said, what, 170 something? Yeah. One only had eight, but eight is still eight more than I've ever killed in my life. Mm-hmm. You, you want these people to be punished. And then this one that where they aren't allowed to feel good about what they do anymore is lovely. Yeah. Yeah, if they're going to do it, they can still do it, but they don't get to have that feeling of superiority. Yeah, they can't. They're not allowed to fool themselves anymore. Mm. And Gilbert has found Jed. He saves the day. Yeah. No heroic sacrifice. I thought there was going to be one, but apparently not. Well, he's unconscious, but still alive, but they urgently need to get him to a hospital. Mm -hmm. So we don't know if he's going to last forever. Hmm. And also, we get the feeling that there's going to be a reckoning of some kind. There will be consequences, Gilbert says, because she called Morpheus. Mm-hmm. So they're both going to have consequences. I suppose him. we will both have to face the consequences of that. Yeah, him for having given away the name and her for having said it. Mm-hmm. So who is Gilbert? Who do you think Gilbert is? What? Why do you think Gilbert knew to write Morpheus? And what do you think his consequences? Well, let's go to the final page and then we'll ask you because this is kind of your prediction. So we've got the last page. Mm-hmm. Let me let me intro the last page so I can cut that other junk out. We'll just go right back to it. So we're at the last page. The first wind of winter blew from the north and it had ice and rime on its breath. And we've got the serial killers leaving more tentatively than they had come. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's Bill Nye, the murder guy. Bill again. Nye, the murder guy. He's like, maybe I should go back to science. <laughs> maybe I'll be the science guy. Hmm. It seemed like the darkness swallowed them. Perhaps it did. Oh, yeah, we've got the, this is the guy at the end who wanted somebody to help him. Mm-hmm. That's him, and he's really got the eyes showing. Yeah. Okay, so, Sasha, Yeah. who do you think Gilbert is? Like, what's going on with Gilbert here? Why does he know Morpheus's name? Why will he have to face consequences? I don't know. I mean, okay, so he studies... He knows these old stories really well. He seems really, he seems like the Giles type, you know, mm-hmm. or he, he must have a past that's connected to things and that's why he's so knowledgeable. Mm. But uh, I really don't know. I mean, I don't think he's one of the escaped dreams. Mm. That's not a thing. Maybe he's, um, 
I think he's just, he's a scholar and I think he learned stuff by being a scholar. I think he learned okay. about who Morpheus was and all of that uh, by being that and maybe he had some dealings with the cults that kept him locked away or mm. something. Maybe he's related to that in some way, although I don't see him being on the side of keeping Morpheus locked up, but yeah. Okay. My... So what is your prediction for the next issue? What's the issue called? It's called Into the Night. So we found Jed. Mm-hmm. Going to bring him to the hospital. Mm-hmm. But there will be a reckoning. Yeah. Oh, I think that Rose and possibly Gilbert as well is going to go into the dream world. Mm-hmm. That's what Into the Night is. Oh, okay. And yeah. what are they going to do there? Because well, we know <laughs> we know we know something we know something about Rose, don't we? Yeah, we know that she's a conduit vortex, a vortex. Mm-hmm. So I think that Dream is gonna take her into the Dream World, maybe because mm, maybe we need Dream to fully save uh, Jed's life, and so Rose ends up calling him a second time hmm. or something. Okay. Yeah, but well, I think the into the night part is that is that she's going to end up in the dream world okay. again, not just seeing it the way she was before, not just like looking into it, but like physically there. Okay. Yeah. Good prediction. We'll find out next episode. Ooh. You've been dreaming of the Sandman, issue 14, collectors. For show notes, visit thedreaming.motivedust.com. Support future episodes at patreon.com/dreaming. Like us on Facebook, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app, including Google Play Music and iTunes. Our theme music is Oneri by Kai Engel. Hear more at kaiengel.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. I'm Joe Fulgham. Thanks for listening. Time to wake up. Well, you know, this is where he gets his ideas from. The mirror. <laughs> why Why there? Why? Oh, God. He found the noisiest thing to go to sleep on. <laughs>